All right, what's up, guys? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the college pastors here. And um, yeah, to, to start out the fall, we're talking about who we are as a church. And so last week we talked about celebrate. Today we're talking about connect and or community. And so that's where we're going. Um, <clears throat> what are the stories that you tell about your life? So when you're like hanging out with friends and, and you guys are talking about the good old days, what's the stuff that you're talking about? So, you, so here's the thing. There's enough people in this room that were different enough that there would not be very much commonality between all of our stories, the things that matter to us in life, except for a few things. And, and I think one of those things in your stories, the common denominator, will be that they were with people. Right, so, so maybe there's an exception where you had this really cool moment by yourself, but in general, those stories, the good old days, they're, they're about people who have meant a lot in your life. Right, so one of the stories I, that I tell that some of you have heard me tell is my road trip to California. And I'm not, I'm not telling the whole thing today, but the, the long and short of it is I was sitting in the dining center my freshman year of college uh, in a random day in February, and it was 40 below wind chill, and we were just hating our lives. And my buddy Ben looked at my buddy Jason and said, Jace, let's go to California. And Jace said, okay, and we left 45 minutes later. Road tripped out there, spent two days on the beach, and then just drove back. So here's the thing. That's not a story about college spontaneity or irresponsibility, depending on your perspective. It's a story about friendship, or at least to me. Like, the reason I tell that story is because I love Ben and Jace. And, and that was like a, like a few days where it was just us living life together. I, I also lived in the dorms for three years of college because I liked the dorms and I wanted to live there. But then I've thought about that sentence since, liked the dorms. And dorms are horrible. Like there's no way that I actually like the dorm. Like the men's bathroom in a college dorm is one of the worst places on earth. Like I've seen stuff that I will never unsee. So I didn't like the dorms. What did I like? I liked the community. And I knew that I would never have a time in my life again where you could just leave your door open and somebody would just walk in and start talking to you. That stuff happens. And here's the deal. We are incredibly relational beings. It's part of what it means to be human. And introverts, I'm not talking about extroversion here, okay? I want to include you in this. I know the, the extroverts are usually too busy talking, and so you're misunderstood. It's not that you don't love people. It's that you rest a different way, but, but relationships are still incredibly valuable in your life. So I'm not talking about extroversion or personality type. type. I'm talking about something deeper. Or, or another way to get at this, I think one of the primary ways that you can learn about who we are as human beings is you can start asking people what they're afraid of. <clears throat> and I think almost all of us in this room would say that we're afraid of being lonely. We're, we're afraid of not having people in our life who, who deeply care about us. And there was this quote that caught me this week as I was thinking about this by Marina Keegan, an author who said this, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness, but if we did, I could say that's what I want in life. Man, that resonated with me. I feel like that would be true for a lot of us. Yet, the reality of so many of our lives is that we don't have the relationships that we wish we did. There was a, a study that studied college students over the course of like five years 
And it, it was obviously relevant to college students, but I think it's, it's relevant to the broader population because if you want to figure out what's going on in culture, college students are actually a great way to figure out what the trends in culture are. And here's what they found, is that there is currently a mental health ep- epidemic, a crisis surrounding feelings of social anxiety and loneliness. What they found is that 62% of college students in America would describe their social experience as deeply lonely. What's considered to be one of the the best social experiences of your life, the, the majority of people feel like they're alone. And so there's this tension between what we all want in life I don't have to explain to you that you want relationships and you want community because you already know that. The tension between what we want and what our actual experience is. And I think a lot of that is self-induced for a couple of reasons. One of them is the hyper-individualism with which we live. That's so normal for us culturally to be surrounded by people. We live in a city where we're around people all the time, but we live these incredibly individual, isolated lives. And that's become normal for us culturally, but it's very much not normal biblically. But I think there's actually something else going on. I think that individualism is a part of it, and I'll get back to that. But I think there's something else that we're afraid of even more than we're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of someone actually knowing us. Like seeing all of the junk in our lives and them not liking what they see. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid to actually let a real human being see our actual real lives and the the mess and the insecurity and the frustrations and the sin and the pride and all of that stuff. We're afraid to actually let somebody see because what if they didn't like what they see? And so we live in these, these superficial relationships where we let people in our lives just enough to appear like we have friends or to get a little taste of community, but not deep enough for anyone to actually know the real you. And so we're alone. But there is actually a word for the opposite of loneliness. It's called Christian community. And and you have access to Christian community. Even if you feel unlovable, even if, if you feel like no one would actually like the real you, you have access to this thing that your soul was made for. And so that's what I want to talk about. And so, so this is where I want to go. I want to start with saying why we crave community. Why do we long for it so much? Then number two, I want to say why we don't have community. And then number three, how can we get it? Why we crave it, why we don't have it, and how we can get it. All right, so first up, why do we crave community? And you can start flipping to 1 John 4. Uh, I'd love it if you'd follow along with me in your Bibles or on your app or whatever. We'll kind of land there. We'll reference some other texts, but mostly land there. 1 John 4, I'll read 7 through 8. It says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Okay, so we're going to come back to that stuff about who knows God and who doesn't. But I, I wanna real quick look at those last three words that finish that sentence. Those three words are packed with significance. They, they've, as I've started to understand them, and I don't even fully understand them yet, but as I've started to understand them, they've, they've transformed my life and my entire perspective about what it means to be human. Here are those words. God is love. 
God is love. Okay, so what does that mean? What we don't mean by that is that God is loving. Because what do, you, what do you think of when you think of a person that's loving? You have sort of a definition of what you think love is, kindness or service or whatever, and then you say that person is that thing more often than not. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that God defines love. Or, or love is whatever God is, and he is that thing all the time. It's, it's part of his nature. And God has been loving throughout the entire history of the world, and actually before history. And he will always be loving. God was loving before any of us existed, any of this existed, which is interesting, right? Because love is in its nature external. You, you have to, in order to love, you have to have something or someone to love. So the question is, is how could God, before any of us, anything else existed, how could he be loving? The answer is that he loved himself. It sounds trippy and weird and maybe a little bit arrogant, but it's so cool in who God is because God himself is a loving community. We, we talked about this a little bit at Salt Company College Students, I know, but so if you've got the Trinity figured out, feel free to zone out, but if you haven't figured it out yet, stick with me. Uh, you've got the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and they all love each other and they delight in each other. So a lot of you know a person by the name of Hannah Thompson. She was up on the stage a little bit earlier uh, to be in this church for a while is to meet Hannah, right? And Hannah brings a certain amount of energy to day-to-day life and intensity and excitement. And there is now a person also in our church who almost matches that intensity. Her name is Abby Gonzalez. And so there is a thing that happens when they walk in a room because they are like BFFs now, right? They're, they're tight. And so like one of them will be in a room, Hannah will be like typing on her computer and Abby will walk in and all of a sudden Hannah gets hyped and goes, hey, and then Abby goes, hey, and then they get fired up and they get closer together and then dancing happens. I don't know why, it just, it just produces itself and then, well, we're dancing so we might as well have music and so then music is playing and now there's just a party just because they're in each other's presence. That's what God's like. He's like that. So, so like, God the Son metaphorically walks in the room. Don't take that too literally or it's heresy. God the Son walks in the room and God the Father's like, hey. And then God the Son's like, hey. And they start dancing and they're, part, and they're, they're delighting in each other's presence. They are a loving community. That's who God is. And that gives us an insight into why we exist. We are an overflow of that community. So I sometimes hear weird explanations about why we exist, almost like God was lonely and he needed us to love him. God was good. Like he was having himself a party. He was fine. God created us because he wanted someone and something to love. He had so much love in and of himself that he wanted to give it to someone else. And your water heater in your house there's a pressure release valve because if your water heater malfunctions and it heats up the water too much, it, it has all of this pressure that builds up and it literally can like blow up and shoot up through your house. And so Mythbusters proved it. It's a thing. And so um, there's a pressure release valve on the bottom of it that if there's too much pressure, the water will just come out of the release valve. 
God was like building up this pressure of love and community within himself, and then he opened up the pressure release valve, and it all spilled out into this earth. And this world and all of us are a result of the loving community that God had within and of himself. He poured it out onto us, not only so that we could experience it, but so that we could be like him in that. So we are image bearers of God, which means that we are supposed to demonstrate to the world what God is like. And one of the primary ways that we demonstrate what God is like is we live in loving relational community because that's how God lives. Look back at verse seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, do you see the logic there? If God is love, if you know him, you then will live out in love towards other people. So so what this just said is that living life in loving community is one of the best evidences that you are a Christian. Loving community is essential to the Christian life. You don't live as a Christian individually. So, so I, I want you to hear me on this. This is, <clears throat> the rest of what I'm gonna say is founded on this idea that living life in deeply interconnected, loving community with other people is not optional, but is essential to the Christian life because it's a primary way that you demonstrate to the world what God is like. <clears throat> the primary way that we do community in this church it's called connection groups. They're small groups that, that meet throughout the week, all throughout the city. Now, it's not the only way we do community, but it is the, the primary way that we do community. And so this is what I'm saying, is that being in committed relationships with other believers in your church is not sort of an optional program that you can opt into if you want, or if it's helpful to you, or if you have time for it. It is essential to walking with Jesus and demonstrating what Jesus is like. Now, let me ask a question. If all of that is true, if God is this loving relational community, dumped that out on us and we were made in his image to be like that, and and if God uniquely made human beings to, to live together and to love each other and to demonstrate his image to the world, then why is the sting of loneliness so real to so many of us? Why, if I took a survey of this church, would almost all of you, if you were honest, say that not only are you not in that type of community right now, but you've never actually experienced that type of community? Here's why. Because something went wrong. Something has gone deeply wrong and we no longer are what we were created to be. There's a a gap, a tension between the way that we were supposed to live and who we were and who we are now as fallen human beings. And so why do we not have community? Is because we fell. That that familiar story from Genesis 3 where it, it talks about human beings disobeying God and all of the negative consequences as a result of that. What we're seeing in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve decide to eat the apple is not just some random rule that they broke, but it's them rejecting their role as image bearers. 
God made them to demonstrate who he is to the world, but Adam and Eve and all of us since have said, no, God, I don't want to be under your authority and demonstrate your authority to the world. I want to live in my own image. I want to be my own authority, and so I'm going to turn from you, and I'm going to live over here, and it shattered all relationships. Sin was like an atomic bomb that went off in God's green earth, and it eviscerated relationships and everything that was good, and it, and it, it destroyed, in some senses, not, not totally, but it, it attacked both our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with each other. And so now where there used to be unity and love, there's disunity and bitterness. That is now the normal, natural thing for us. Don't miss how significant this is. We used to walk with God in the garden. Nobody had to tell us what God was like because we knew. He used to walk around with us like friends. Like, we weren't supposed to know what it's like to, to just get that, like, punch in the gut type feeling when you see yet another mass shooting. We weren't supposed to walk through divorce. Our dads weren't supposed to leave. We weren't supposed to know what it's like to have brokenness and, and bitterness in relationships. No wonder we're lonely and we want more than what we have because we're shells of what we used to be, what we should have been. And so now there's this constant tension in your life. The, the very people that you were built to have relationship with, that, that you have this deep desire to walk through life with in loving community are the same people who will hurt you the most. Like the people that you care about most in life, they'll leave you, They'll mock you, they'll gossip about you, they'll let you down, and, and here's the kicker, is you will actually do the same thing to them. When I talk to people who have tough relationships with their parents and scars from their past, it's really hard for me, both because I feel for them, but also because I'm realizing that someday my son Graham will likely meet with a mentor and talk to that mentor about how I've wounded him. And I hate that, and I don't want that. I'm gonna do everything in my power to give that kid the best life that I possibly could, and I will fail him. And he will have wounds from things that I say and do because that is my nature now. That is my default now. And so there's this problem that human beings no longer by default love each other, but we begin to use each other because we don't have what we once had and we're longing for it and we try and use other people to get the type of confidence and, and, and worth and, and security that we once had, that we long for, and we try and use other human beings to get that for us. And so we're all in the cycle of using each other. It's actually really dangerous to try to save a drowning person. You know why? Because when you swim up to them, they're so terrified of drowning and they're in kind of this, this instinct mode where they just grab a hold of you. They actually climb up on top of you and it actually can drown you in the process. This is what I'm saying is we, because of sin, are drowning in fear, in insecurity, in pride, in selfishness, in lack of positive identity. 
And when another person walks into your life, you out of instinct will grab onto them and they actually will drown under the weight of your own insecurity and feelings of insignificance. They can't fix that problem for you. We need someone who can. So how do we get community? Listen to this. Back to the text, verse nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hear this. Jesus doesn't need you. He's not insecure. He's fulfilled. He has no lack of community because he has God himself. He's completely satisfied in who he is and he's completely perfect. So he has no need for you. He's not demanding anything of you. And that is great news because instead of using you, God will serve you. Instead of tearing you down, he'll lift you up. And that's exactly what he did. Living in heaven was very much preferable to living on earth, but Jesus chose to come to earth so that you could experience heaven. Living a life of ease and comfort that he actually had earned and deserved was far better for him than walking to a cross willingly, but he walked to that cross willingly so that you wouldn't have to. He used his rights and his privilege as the son of God to lift you up. And listen to this, on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this, this wild thing happened where for the first time in history there was, there was some tension and some separation within the Trinity as God the Father in some senses turned his back on God the Son so that he would never have to turn his back on you. Jesus became lonely on the cross for the first time in his life so that if you trust him, you never have to experience loneliness again because God himself will come to live inside of you and you will never be alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's what God has done for you. And in, in, in verse 10 is crazy. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He loved you when you were unlovable. He initiated that love. He came after you. And, and that's such a weird concept for us because everything we know about relationships and about being loved is within this concept of cleaning ourselves up in order to try to be impressive to the other person so that they will love us. That's what social media is, right? Is It's you taking your life and editing it to make it look really pretty. And then you post it so that other people will think highly of you. It, it's, it's not the real you. It's this fabrication of a person who's far better than you actually are. And so then what happens is that when we start experiencing loneliness, we look out to the lives that these other people are, are seemingly living, these beautiful, perfect lives, and we think that we're alone in our brokenness and loneliness. And here's why, is because you, you post the high moments. You post like the photo of you on some mountain in Colorado, like, look, isn't my life amazing? Nobody posts the low moments. Nobody takes a selfie while they're in their pajamas at home, hashtag loneliness. Like that, that's not a thing that we do. 
And so you're sitting at home alone, lonely, looking at the photo of the person in Colorado going, man, their life is amazing. I wish I was like them. And the person that posted the photo of them in Colorado is also sitting at home alone on their couch feeling lonely. So they post that photo to get the dopamine hits of a lot of people liking their little picture. We edit ourselves to try and get love, but it's never actually enough because no one sees the real you. But what if God saw the real you and loved you? What if it was both? Because here's the deal. You can't edit your life before God. Yeah, I hate to break this to you. He sees everything. Not only what you do, but also what you feel and what you think and all the dark motivations that you have, everything that you've ever done wrong in your life, the, the moment that you feel most guilt and shame over, God was there, he saw it, and not only did he see it, but he feels it. He feels the weight of it in his hands and his feet as he hangs on a cross for you, and this is what he says, I still love you. I still want relationship with you. You can't out-sin the love of God. He knows you and he loves you for exactly who you are. So how do you get community with God? Well, he's got to love you before you ever can love him. And as he loves you, he makes you lovable. How do you get community with people? is you find a God willing to love you for exactly who you are so that you can love people for exactly who they are. You, you find a God who meets all of your needs so that you don't have to use people anymore. And not only do you not have to use people anymore because your needs are met, but now you can be real about who you are. You can be honest about the brokenness you can stop editing the picture and just be you and let people see it. And here's what almost for sure will happen, by the way, if you're just honest about brokenness and sin and struggles, is that it will open other people up to be honest about those same things. They're not gonna be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. No, like they're struggling with the same stuff and they're gonna relate to you in that. But let's say worst case scenario they're like, I can't believe that you're not a perfect person. This is shocking. And they, and they mock you for it. The God who made everything, who sees everything in you, loves you. That's enough. You don't actually need the approval of other people. They don't have to carry the weight of your significance as a person anymore because Jesus carried it. And because Jesus is worthwhile, you now are worthwhile. So you can be real and broken and honest and not the perfect picture of what you should have been and you can be okay because of the love of God. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love other people. Okay, that's really interesting. What you would expect this to say is because God loved us, we should love God, right? Like because God did this extravagant loving thing for you, then you should respond and like worship and praise and read your Bible and do extravagant loving things for God, which is true and that's all good. But what does this text say? It says because God loved us, we should love other people. The response to being loved by God is to deeply love other human beings even in their brokenness. Now, that is a really nice idea. 
But if we all listen to this message and feel warm and fuzzy about community, but don't actually change the rhythms of our lives or how we live, there was no point. It's easy to love the idea of community without loving real people. So, so you can get excited about community. Maybe you sign up for a connection group after the service, but then you go to that connection group and you sit there in a little bit of awkward silence and you go, these people are weird. I, okay, maybe. Maybe you're weird. Have you ever thought about that? If there's a difference, maybe it's you. Okay, but either way, okay, so it's weird. Who cares? Deal with the weirdness. Love somebody. It's worth it. Commit to people where it doesn't work perfectly. Why does it have to live up to a perfect standard? Whose idea was that? We're imperfect humans. Love people. Or you can have this, this vision of everything that community should be and this perfectly biblical idea of all the things that community should be and do or what a connection group should be and do or what a church should be and do. And by the way, in church, I don't mean like necessarily the organization. I mean like the people, the other people around you, what we as a church should collectively be or, or what we as a, sh- a church should talk about and believe and do and all this stuff. And that can be great. But the problem is, is you can get so focused on all the things that you wish your church or your community or the person in your life would be doing that you forget to actually love that person. You can be disunifying in the name of unity because you become critical. Okay. Let's just say you, in theory, want your spouse to change something about their life. They're not perfect. And this is your strategy. As you go home and you say, hey, honey, Uh, I I have this friend, Jessica, and I really like the way she lives. Her house is like super organized, and I just wish that you could be more like Jessica. Good plan? Bad plan. What do you think? (laughs) Bad plan. Thanks, Peach. I agree. The church is the bride of Christ. Uh, It's a a little bit of a scary thing to criticize Jesus' bride. Now, what I'm not saying is you can't ever have a hard conversation about what the church should be. We absolutely should do that. We're not perfect. I understand that. But I'm just saying your lead foot forward should not be criticism. It should be love. Default to loving real people, broken people, real connection groups that are broken, real churches that are broken, just love. But in order to do that, you've got to actually be in a place where you, I don't know, like interact with actual people It's easy, especially in our culture, to be constantly around people but not actually know any of them. And to to get lost in hyper-American individualism or in an electronic world and not actually put yourself in the, the way of real people. And we're so, like, individualism is the air we breathe, and we've got to rethink it. We, we go into our attached garages, we get into our personal car, we, we drive to work, and we sit in our cubicle, or we go to a coffee shop, and we put earbuds in, and we don't talk to anyone, and then we drive home, we pull into our garage, we walk into our house, and we never have a meaningful interaction with another human being. Or we have weird ideas of the nuclear family that the only way to be tight-knit as a family and healthy is to isolate yourself from the rest of the world that we really need time just as a family. And so we're gonna stay in and and we're not gonna let anybody else into this time because this is family time. Why is having other people in on your family time, why does that make it unvaluable time with your family? What if that would actually improve and help the time, not make it worse? Like take intentional steps to interact 
with other people. But, but you have to make that decision. You have to change the, the rhythms of your life. You eat food most nights, right? The people next to you, your neighbors, are also eating food, turns out. The people in your connection group, they're eating food. What if they ate food at your house? And, and we feel like there's barriers because, you know, we've got to be good hostess and everything's got to be clean and, and we've got to make this incredible food and there's got to be dessert. No, you don't. Like, okay, your house is a little bit unclean. So is their house. Everyone's fine. Just throw in a pizza. It doesn't have to be amazing. Share life with people. Just let them in on your real life, not this like hosting thing that we do. Put yourself in a place to interact with real human beings. Commit to community. Commit to a community the way you commit to your extended family. So for some of us, our extended family is super fun to hang out with and, and we love it. And so my extended family is here and so that's me. I, I love hanging out with you, right? So that's great. Some of you love hanging out with your connection group and it's normal and it's easy and you hang out all the time. For some of you, hanging out with your extended family is a challenge and you're not necessarily looking forward to holidays, but you go because they're your family. You're committed to them. You have relationship with them. So see your connection group the people in the, or the people in this church as your family and commit to them even if it's not super easy. The last thing I want to point out from verse 11 and 11 and 12 is this. So beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That, that sentence, no one has ever seen God, is, is just weird here. Because it's this whole section talking about love and then all of a sudden it just drops this fact like God is spirit. Like you can't really see him right now. Why? Is he just dropping like an abstract concept in this? No, it's related to the rest of the text. So what's he, what is he saying? He's saying that even though we can't see God right now, we can see other Christians loving each other. That when you love, when you live in loving community, you become the manifestation of God's character on earth. You show this world and this church what God is like by the way that you love. People can see God because of you. And I care a lot about this in particular because this idea matters so much to my life. So one of the, the harder stretches that I've ever gone through um, was the year that I graduated from college. So I came to know Jesus late in high school and I was a performer um, and then I learned like how to trust Jesus and his grace for me through college. But then I jumped on staff after I graduated and there was all these people that I'd looked up to throughout my life who were now coworkers and I felt like I couldn't screw it up. And so I felt this like pressure and this anxiety to perform. And so what happened is I actually did perform fairly well, like ministry was going well, but I was tanking personally. And I wasn't, I was working crazy hours and not taking care of myself and not sleeping enough and not spending enough time with my wife and just, I wasn't healthy, but I felt like I couldn't be honest about that because I didn't want them to see brokenness and I, I felt like I had to perform. And so the cycle continued and I got to a place where I got pretty depressed, honestly, and just was struggling to believe that God loved me to experience life with him. And it, it got pretty bad. 
And so I eventually felt convicted and like told somebody about it and they rightly decided that, you know, I needed a year off staff to, to get healthy. And that was the right thing, but it was one of the hardest things I've ever walked through. And it was embarrassing. I screwed up. And I, and I thought what would happen is that people would sort of distance themselves because I thought that people had relationship with me based on what I could do, how I could perform. And then when I didn't perform well, I thought they would bail. But what actually happened is my community chased me down. And when I had no idea how to believe that God loved me, they loved me. And when I felt alone and when I felt like God was distant, they were there and they stuck with me and they believed for me. I didn't know how to believe. I didn't know how to believe God. I didn't know how to believe the gospel and they believed for me. Like I could not walk away because they refused to let me do it. They believed in my place. And I don't think, I'm confident without them, I wouldn't be standing on the stage and I have no idea where I'd be at from like a just personal health and walk with Jesus standpoint, but they chased me down, and they walked with me, and slowly over time, I began to believe in the love of God again, because those people loved me. I want us to be a church like that. I want us to chase down hurting people, and prove to them that God has not left, that he's still here. I want us to be the embodiment of God's love on earth so that this world and this church can see that he is good and that he is loving and that he is here. Let's be the visible expression of the love of God in this earth. Let's pray. God, thank you for so, so many of the things that you've done for all of us. Thanks that you didn't leave us alone, but that you pursued relationship with us. Thanks that we can walk with you again as friends, that you've restored us back, um, that we can know you, God, that, that you haven't let our sins stand in the way of knowing you. And thanks that you've made a way for us to have relationship with each other and to love each other well. And God, I, I pray first for the people in the room that feel right now like I did, um, that they would know that they're not alone, that they're not unlovable, that you chase them down and that there's people here that'll do the same in your name. Uh, would today be a moment where they believe again, they believe in your goodness and come back and God, pray that we would be a church that actually does the stuff that we talk about. Um, that's hard. I, God, I, I don't always know how to do that. I, I don't know how to change the rhythms of my life to pull people in, but I know I want it. Um, and so would you help us as a church to, to actually live differently, to, to live with each other in a unique way that is very different from the way that our culture lives. And would you produce life and friendship and trust and this, this community that, that shows the world what you were like. I love that you poured out your love on this place as an overflow of who you are. We want to be like that 
but we need your help to be like that. And so help us, God. We, we love you and, and, and we trust you. Amen.